Do you know, it's a, it's a real joy um, to be with you this morning. And, you know, I, I do count it as a privilege, uh, not as a, a right, to be able to come and share with you. And, uh, I, and so I'm, I'm, I'm told that you're really uh, open and receptive to what God might want to do and say. And it's a, can I just say, it's a really beautiful atmosphere in this, this, this place this morning. And um, I think there's, you know, I, I get, I've now, over the last eight, nine months, I've got to visit a number of churches and um, uh, all unique and different. Uh, but, you know, I think there's a real sense of which, um, as a community, you're saturated by the love and the presence of Jesus. And, um, and I don't say that lightly, but I, I, do, I do know that you have a pastor who deeply loves Jesus and you have a leadership team who love Jesus. And therefore, the knock-on effect of that within the life of the church will be a church that loves Jesus. Um, you see, because the, one of the priorities of Elam, and this is before I get into my message, but I think it's really important, is that we are prioritizing around making disciples. Now, that for me is just uh, it's a, it's been a game-changer for my ministry and my life, uh, because actually that's the whole purpose why we exist as a church, is to make disciples. It's not just to put on entertainment on Sunday mornings. It's not just to run a whole host of programs. Actually, it's about making disciples. But in the mix of leading churches, I think sometimes we, we as leaders have forgotten that we're first and foremost disciples before we're leaders. We've got so focused on leading uh, to an objective or to a goal that we forgot to be the ones who follow, first and foremost. And so, can I just encourage you that as a church, can you keep encouraging your leadership team to be followers of Jesus before the leaders for Jesus? The followers of Jesus before the leaders for Jesus. And you see, as they follow Jesus, they'll hear more clearly from him and, and they'll walk in step with the Spirit and you'll begin to go into the environments and places that you've not yet reached. And I know that the reach of this church is phenomenal. But there's more. Because there are more lost people. There are more people who still need to hear the good news. And so, but that will flow, not out of a drivenness, but out of a place of, of following and obedience to that which Jesus has called you to do and to be. So if we, get, if we get leaders who are disciples first and foremost, I think we're going to get healthy churches, I think we'll get growing churches, and I think we'll begin to reach nations, which is the thing that I've been tasked with, uh, not simply on my own, you'll be glad to know, but to prioritise and focus is one of our priorities. How are we going to reach nations? Well, I, I think the scripture makes it pretty clear for us. I, I think the, the call of Jesus is, is fairly clear to the church. I, I think we've often focused on, on vision, you know, the what are we going to do? And we've lost sight of the mission, which is why we do it. So we get so caught up with achieving a goal, we lose sight of the actual reason why we do those things in the first place. And I think this is why it's so essential that as a local church, we're really clear on our why. And so if anything, this morning you get out of this morning, I, it might be that you've just got distracted doing loads of stuff and you've lost sight of your why. And I, my prayer is that this morning this will help you to reignite that sense of why you do what you do. For others of you, you're really clear on why you do what you do and it might just serve as, a, as a, an encouragement to you. Yeah, I'm on, on the right track. Well, either way, my, my, my hope, my dream, my prayer really for this morning is that we leave this place crystal clear on why we exist as God's people. And so would you turn with me to Psalm 67? This is a psalm that has been hugely important to me over, over recent years. I went to Nepal back in 2008 and I was part of a group of people that were beginning the journey of the, what was called the Himalayan Working Group. And uh, there was probably about 10 of us on this trip and 
And uh, we, uh, we were dreaming some big dreams about church planting in the Himalayans, uh, Himalayan region, not just in Nepal, but uh, in, in the Himalayan region. And so we had a whole week holed up in a hotel, dreaming, planning, praying, um, just a whole host of stuff. But each morning there would be devotions. And as you, you know, it wouldn't be a missions trip, would it, without, without devotions in the morning. And so we, we gathered around the swimming pool at the hotel where we were. <laughs> I know, it was tough. It was a tough gig. Uh, but there was, uh, we, we gathered around this, this, this table, and Paul Stevens, who uh, was a needle minister for many years, just a great godly man who was involved in, in missions uh, way, way back, he shared from Psalm 67, and you know, I'd, I'd read it before. Uh, you know, there's, there's moments where you read scripture, aren't there, and you just, you, you, you've gone through it, and then you come across it, or somebody shares something about a scripture, and you go, that's what it means! <laughs> That's what it's all about. It's, it's, uh, maybe, maybe I'm just really dense there. <laughs> but those moments where we just dig into the scripture, somebody says something, and it just comes alive for like you've read it for the first time, and that was this. So shall we read it? And then I may show you a video. It just depends on the time. But I will show you a video, actually. May God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his face shine upon us so that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among, the, among nations. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations rejoice and shout for joy. For you judge the people with fairness and lead the nations on earth. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has produced its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. God will bless us and all the ends of the earth will fear him. What an incredible psalm. In a moment I'm going to walk us through that psalm and draw out four things that I think are really crucial for us to understand why we, why we, why we exist as God's people. But before you, I, you, I do that, I want you to watch this video because there is still a, there's still a great deal of work to do. In the context of this psalm, it kind of puts it into picture the, the very... Uh, the very reason why we need to be busy with mission, not just locally here in Tamworth, but internationally and still sending people to the nations. So if you watch this, and then I'll pick up from there. The statistics on the screen, um, I don't know about you, but when I first watched that was shocking. Actually, the disproportionate uh, sending of missionaries to, to nations and places that have already got a large percentage of, of gospel work going on. Now, we can do an awful lot with statistics. I, I get that. But the reality is there are still 2 billion people on planet Earth who don't know Jesus. 2 billion. Now, the reality is you can walk out of this, this building today and not go 100 yards and meet people who have not heard of Jesus yet. So really... The task is global and the task is worldwide because not every single one of you in this room this morning will be called to be a big M missionary, to go and do cross-cultural mission overseas in a context and place that is unfamiliar to you. But I think I agree with Spurgeon when he says that every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. I think every Christian is a small M missionary. 
I think every Christian is called to participate in the mission of God to make his kingdom known and make his glory uh, known and, and to display the majesty and splendour of the one who has saved us and called us and reconciled us to himself. I, I think that's the task of every believer. But the, the task of Elam Missions is we, we want to do some stuff about, about the two billion of people who aren't reached. That's why I said earlier that we want to think strategically about where we send people. Because I don't think it's, it's okay to just keep sending people to places that's already well populated. We've got to train and equip and send people to go to the unreached so that the task might be done and the task might be finished. Because what did Jesus say? That this gospel shall be preached in every nation and then the end will come. And I had this picture as I think about these unreached people groups and the task that's still ahead of us, it seems massive. And depending on which day I'm on, whether it's a good day or a bad day, I'm either encouraged and inspired by those statistics or I'm depressed by them. But all I know is that Jesus is sovereignly ruling over all things because that's who he is. And he's working out his purposes in our lives. Our challenge is to make sure that we align our life with his so that we're about his purpose, that we live out of a place of this is why I exist. So Elam Missions, we're, uh, this whole month we're focused on how do, we, how do we reach some of these people? How do we invest some of our resources to reach some of the people that are not reached? So just go onto our website and you can find some more information about this uh, month of mission, this legacy month, uh, which kind of fits in with, with your, um, your current series. But let me talk to you about this psalm and four things that I've identified that I think are crucial for keeping us on task. And the first thing is prayer. This prayer in in verse 1, May God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his face shine upon us. God be gracious for us. I think the starting point for our life, actually, and for any mission, is that we understand and grapple with the grace of God. That we understand that we we have been forgiven so much. Like there's no good just going to go and do good works if we've not received that sense of forgiveness because it's just good works. But may God be gracious to us. That's the starting point. God, I am so aware that without your grace, I can achieve nothing or do nothing of any eternal worth or value or substance at all, but by the grace of God. I don't know about you, but sometimes I just reflect on the last... I, I, I turned 40 last year, and sometimes I just reflect on the, on the 40 years that I can remember. I can't remember all of them because, you know, some memories disappear. But I reflect on some of those, and I think, oh, God, you have been so gracious to me. I think in my, my teenage years, as a, as a 17-year-old, discovering and trying to understand who I am and, and discovering identity, growing up as a pastor's kid and all of that kind of stuff, and you think, what is that all about? Who am I, Lord? And going out with my friends and, and occasionally, well, probably more than occasionally, there were you know, times where I would go out to, to, to Loughborough and I would drink too much and come home and I'd, I'd have a headache and all that kind of stuff. And I, but I, I look back and reflect on that, that short period of life and I go, God, I was such a wretched sinner, but I am so thankful that you spared me from so many stupid decisions when I didn't understand. But by the grace of God. You see, the thing is, if I had made some stupid, stupid decisions, even more stupid decisions during that period of time, God would still be gracious. 
Because your story is not my story, my story is not your story, and yet we understand that our life is wrapped up in the grace of God, that we are undeserving of this. As I read my Bible, I'm captivated by the fact that we've removed us, we've moved so far from our intended purpose. Genesis 1 and 2 are just such a beautiful picture of how God designed us and created us to live in relationship with us. Genesis 3 tells us about the fall and the the separation between God and man, and, and Jesus came to restore that which was broken. And we are so undeserving of it, yet he graciously does it. And so the prayer for us, for you and I, as we embrace mission, is God be gracious to us. Why? Oh, we'll get to that in a moment. God be gracious to us. You see, I think when we understand the grace of God, it eradicates entitlement. I think entitlement is one of the greatest curses in our day. Like because we have, if we operate with this sense, well, I'm entitled to stuff. I know my rights. Some of you may be working customer services and you hear that. I know my rights. Oh, goody. <laughs> Entitlement, it just erodes the soul. And it, it, it robs us of joy and it robs us of that delight in the grace and the abundance of God. You know, you and I came into the world with nothing and we'll leave the world with nothing. So the very fact that you and I were born into the countries that we're born to, it was, ju- it was God's grace. Actually, I could have quite easily been brought, in, brought up in, in Antarctica, maybe. But you get what I'm trying to say, is that we come into the world with nothing. And yet we have this creator, this one who rules and presides over all things. The one who created all things perfectly and for his pleasure. Just read Colossians chapter 1, 15 onwards, uh, chapter 15, uh, verse 15 onwards, and just get a picture of the one in whom is, is pouring out this grace. He flung the stars into space and he holds all things together for his glory and for his purpose. And he calls you and I to be part of his family. That is amazing grace. You know, his desire is to bring more and more lost sons and daughters back, back home. Again, you could read Luke 15 and just that picture of the prodigal son coming back home. Loving, gracious father, delighting and waiting. It's his, it's his great joy. It's no hardship. It's a delight for him to welcome. So we've got to grapple with and understand the grace of God. It eradicates entitlement and it allows us to live a life of joy and purpose. Because the second thing I think makes it really clear why God blesses us. Because he has, hasn't he? He blesses us. With, with things that we don't deserve and a life that we, we, can, we can enjoy. And I, please, I don't want to de- minimise or uh, push aside some of the challenges of life. I, we, we all face those things. You, and, you may be sat, uh, facing some of the most challenging circumstances of your life. But you know, in the midst of that, you can know the one who walks with you through those challenging moments. And sure, at this time, it seems like that God's blessing, maybe you might think, where are you, Lord? But you know, he walks with you. And he's right in the midst of the storm with you, even when you're asking the questions of doubt. But hang on and stay in the boat with Jesus. There's times when you need to get out of the boat, but stay in the boat with Jesus. Because the promise to you is that you will get through to the other side. 
He is with you and walking with you. And he's got you. But his blessing and his grace and his presence is a promise. Secondly, the second thing that I think is really crucial and important for us to understand is that the why he blesses us, why he calls us, why he's gracious to us. Because then it gives us the purpose and the reason why we exist. So that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among nations. So that your way might be known. Now, I'm really, I'd be really interested to know how many of you here this morning have, uh, have come to faith or come to be a part of this community as a, a direct result of somebody who demonstrated and, 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 and uh, witnessed to the fact, not just in the words that they said, but in the life that they lived, that this Jesus was real and his power to transform is true. How many of you? I'm going to put my hand up because everybody plays part in our journey. Everybody. You see, some of you have come to faith as a result because of some of the, somebody went out of their way to give you some food and provide something for you. And you, you ask the question, why on earth would you do that? And somebody then goes, well, actually, it's because you're hungry, but actually because I love you, because Jesus, Jesus has enabled this. And therefore, the gospel goes on, and action speaks louder than words. But when the words come, followed by an action that demonstrates the grace of God, how powerful is that? Because it isn't just live your life and be nice to people. There's got to be some gospel proclamation. It's got to be the both and. It's not an either or. It's demonstration and proclamation. The reason we exist is that our, so that our life is, is so transformed by Jesus. That each and every waking day as we pursue him, he is desiring to transform us from the inside out. I, I'm just spending my, a, a number of weeks in the, in, the, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount and I'm just so, um, so struck by the way that Jesus always, always works from the inside out. He wants the marrying of our internal desires and motives to match with our external. And it's easy to do the external for so long, but if the internal isn't matching, you soon get found out. And so Jesus is like always challenging the internal motives, the internal drivers of why we exist and why we do the things that we do. And if it's not coming from a pure heart, it just stinks to Jesus. But the reality of it is, as we are changed by him, as we receive his grace, as we understand how blessed we are to be a part of his kingdom, it, it should, because I think this is genuine worship then, it should transform into the way that we serve. When, when Moses went to Pharaoh and says, let my people go that they, might, that they might worship me, the Hebrew word translates serve, serve me. So our act of life and worship is wrapped up not just in the songs that we sing, but in the way that we live. Why? So that this, this one in whom we love and adore is seen and demonstrated and felt and touched by the people we come into contact with. Wouldn't it be amazing to hear some of the stories from, from you as, you as you've journeyed with Jesus? Maybe, maybe once upon a time you're the worst office gossip. Like you used to love a little bit of a natter about stuff that's going on in the office. And, and you would be the one that always, people always came to to find out what was going on on the quiet. 
But maybe, just maybe, at some point, Jesus challenged you about that behaviour and something began to change and, and no longer were people coming to you because you weren't bothered about what was other people's business. And they go, what's changed with you? You used to be such a source of information. <laughs> and you go, well, I'm a follower of Jesus. Do you know what? And I was really challenged about the way that I was behaving because I, I just realised that this was damaging my soul and actually it wasn't doing you any good either. And you leave it there and see what happens. And then, you know, well, I think that person might start coming back. And especially they're open and they're seeing the transformation. So often there's this dichotomy between what we say and what we do. And I think the call of discipleship is to marry the two. So that what we say and what we do matches. So that the glory and the majesty and the splendor of the one in whom we're called to love and to worship is radiated from his people. I think that's who we're called to be. I think we're called to be a community of people who are distinct from anything that's on the face of the earth. Do you know, I I think a lot of churches have wasted a lot of money trying to be relevant. Because I don't think we're called to be relevant. I think we're called to use relevant words, and I think we're called to use relevant methods, absolutely. But I don't think we're meant to compete with the, the relevance of the world. Actually, I think we're called to be distinct. I think we're called to be a distinct people because people don't need flashy lights, they don't need smoke machines, they don't need relevance, they don't need music. I love music and all the types of music, but that's not what people are longing for. They can get that at other places. What they can't get is is the breath of life. What they can't get is the life of Jesus when they come into contact with people who are full of Jesus. They can't get that from anywhere else but the church. And that means you and I receiving the grace of God living and walking in the grace of God, understanding his blessing and his power and his grace, even in the midst of trial and struggle. Because what stands out to people when you're going through trial and trouble and they know you're a follower of Jesus and they know you keep hanging on is that you know that there's something, they know that there's something different about the way that you're journeying. Your trial, your struggle, your stuff. Because our hope is not fixed on what is present and temporal. Our hope is fixed upon what is eternal. And that which is to come, the new heaven and the new earth, where there is no more pain, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more any of the stuff that just gets in the way. That's the hope, isn't it? New heaven and the new earth. I, I long for that day. That's what it drives me and captures me. It's because I, I want everybody else to understand that and see that and experience that, don't you? And so when we live that way, a life of why, this is why we exist. You can have loads of fun with what you do and how you do it. Because the what you do and the how you do will be, will, be, uh, will, will be filtered through that lens of this is why we do this. And it'll enable you to say, do you know what, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do it because it doesn't align with our why. I think loads of churches do lots of what and how and they don't align it with the why. Why do we exist? To make him known. What does this look like? I think it looks like your communities and your environments flourishing, coming into a place of flourishing. Why? Because God's people are present. What would Tamworth be like if this church was taken out of the picture? If all of a sudden Jesus said, you know what, Tamworth, you've done such a great job, I'm just going to take you all up. What would, be like, what would Tamworth be like? I think Tamworth would be worse off because you're not here. 
So the Christian life, the life of, of relationship with Jesus and one with another is never just to be a personalised thing. It was always meant to have an overflow that the communities and the environments in which you inhabit, which you're going to step into tomorrow, are better because of your presence. Wouldn't it be an amazing witness and an amazing testimony to, to, to what Jesus has done if you, when, when you step into an environment and goes, do you know what? Every time you come into this place, there's something in the atmosphere shifts. And they're the intangibles, aren't they? They're the things you can't necessarily put your hand on. They can't, other people can't, but you know what's happening. There's something of the life of Christ, the fragrance, the aroma of Christ. Transforming atmospheres and environments. Creating opportunities for you to speak and to proclaim and to demonstrate something of this gospel message. I think that's why we exist. And do you know what? That's the stuff that gets me out of bed. I will not get out of bed for emails. <laughs> they are the bane of my life. And I'm, I'm really thankful for gifted administrators because I, I, I don't want to get out of bed for administration either. I want to get out of bed for something that means something. And, you know, I need to uniquely do what God's positioned and called me to do in, in light of the why. But if you're an, a skilled administrator, and I mean this with all, sincere, uh, all sincerity, if you're a skilled administrator, you do it, and you do it to the glory of God, knowing that your why, that your gifting and your ministry and your purpose is facilitating the mission of God. Because without gifted administrators and all the unseen gifts, the public stuff doesn't work. Because this, this is just like a minuscule fraction of what, what, what really matters. So the giftings that God has placed in us, enabling us to work out the why and facilitate the mission and the purpose of why God has called us and still kept us here on planet Earth. Are you with me so far? So number, number three, the posture. Let all the peoples praise you, O oh God. Let all the peoples praise you. I think there's something about a posture of praise that changes atmospheres. And I don't mean that in a woolly, wishy-washy, go into, into work tomorrow morning and start singing the latest praise songs. It might be appropriate if you work at Elam headquarters. <laughs> It's probably not going to work if you work in an insurance company and start going in singing the latest Bethel song, whatever it is that you, you, you know you listen to. But you know, when we understand the grace of God and we understand our why, it enables us to release a, a song of praise in our heart because we, it changes something in us. Like a, a song of praise and thankfulness begins to flow from within that you'll begin to be shaped internally by that which God is doing and let all the peoples praise you so why does mission exist because John Piper would say mission exists because worship doesn't mission exists because worship doesn't you see I, we, the original intention for us was to live a life of worship of, of adoration and relationship and service that was the original purpose. Have dominion in the land, Genesis 1.27. Why did God create? It's like rule and have dominion and work and play and, and all of that, enjoy God's kingdom. It was that sense of worship, walking with him. 
mission exists because worship doesn't. Why? Because there are lost people who, are, who aren't yet worshippers, who aren't yet living this life of praise. And I think when we are living a life that's connected with the one and the reason, the purpose, the life of praise, I think something happens in the environments we inhabit. <coughs> Just on that quote, I, I think actually... People do worship stuff. I think worship happens. I just think it's misdirected. Like, I'm, I'm a Liverpool fan. I, I, I was rejoicing last night. <laughs> I, I, honestly, I, I just, it, was, it was such a great moment. But, you know, I, I look at, I look at um, the fans on the screen and they're just in absolute adoration of these players. Like, that's, their, that's their worship service. That's their, they're their gods. I, I was just on holiday last week in, in Cornwall with my family and um, the, uh, the, the guy who was cleaning the, the facilities, he, he, had a, he had a red car, right, a red car. He had the number plate cop. He had these badges, uh, uh, car seats in, in, in his car front seat with the Liverpool crest. He had Liverpool tattoos. Like, do you tell me who he's worshipping? Like Liverpool FC, that's his God. So, but the thing is, you and, you and I know people who are worshipping other stuff, it's because it's, it's got their hearts. Jesus said, where your, where your treasure is, their heart will be also. What's the thing that people are putting their attention and their energy and their focus on? What's the thing that they talk about the most? That will give you an indication of the thing that's got hold of their heart. So it's misdirected worship. So therefore, what's our purpose of, as God's people is to help them understand that they're designed for worship, but it needs redirecting to the one who is worthy of worship. And his name is Jesus. So the question and the challenge for us is actually we live in a life of praise. Is Jesus the object of our adoration? He's either the one that has our full attention. He's either the one that has our full heart or do we need to get rid of some clutter in order that we might live this kind of life? Because actually he doesn't want just part of you. He wants all of you. And a life fully surrendered to God, I think the world is yet to see and experience what that looks like for Tamworth Elam people to be fully surrendered to God and captivated by mission, I don't think Tamworth are ready for you yet. But that's what we're called to. A life of worship and adoration. Posture of praise. And fourth and finally, the produce. Because all of this has got to go somewhere, right? This isn't just about us, uh, us and Jesus, us and one another, us and, and, and living a life of praise. This has got to go somewhere. This has got to be about reaping some kind of harvest. This, and this is, I think, what the, the final verses of this, of this, ver this uh, psalm suggest is that actually as God blesses us, as God uh, uh, captivates our hearts, as we understand that we're gift, uh, gripped by grace, as we begin to talk and yield our life to, him, to Jesus. We begin to make him known. Actually, more and more people 
will come to faith in Christ as a result. The harvest will be people. I, I can't help but think it's got to be, it's, that's what it's got to be. It's got to be about people coming to faith and understanding their purpose, understanding their why, and then getting involved in harvest. I, I can't help but think it's got to be around that sense of harvest. Now, You've probably been in church long enough to understand and know that there's loads of people who have prayed and prophesied about revival. Have you, have you, or maybe that's just the circles that I mix in and maybe I need to get out more. I don't think, I think God is not, he's not waiting for, uh, uh, well, I think we're waiting for him to do something when he's actually waiting for us to do something. I, I think, we're so busy waiting, and maybe this is not true here, but I think the church is so busy waiting for a moment, for an emotion or a feeling or a, 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 you know, an encounter. How many encounters do we need? Like if you've met Jesus, and the Spirit of God lives in you, and that same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us... <laughs> And we have everything we need to live a life of godliness and to do, do the very things that he's called us to do. So can I politely and, and humbly and sincerely implore you, please get busy. If you're waiting for God to do something, I think he might be waiting for you to do something. You see, and if you've come to faith recently, if, uh, if you've come to faith in the last couple of years, can I just give you, if, if you, anybody come to faith in the last couple of years? Fantastic. Amazing. Incredible. Incredible. I'm sure there's more people. I'm sure there's more people who've come to faith in recent years. Now, you, you guys and ladies who have been come to faith in Jesus, you, you, you've come to faith at a prime time, an opportune time, a moment in history like never before. You've come to faith, not simply to wait for Jesus or to, to be made like Jesus, although that's really important to become, become more like Jesus. You are now recruited to be people who are about the harvest. So as your life is beginning to be changed and transformed by Jesus, as you pursue Jesus, as you follow Jesus, which simply means getting to the scriptures, walk in community, allow people to, to help you and shape you, but allow the Holy Spirit to do what he needs to do in you. As you become more like Jesus, you'll begin to have an impact and a ripple effect upon your environments because people will start to notice something different about you if they haven't already. And so you're now called to the harvest. Now, if you've been a Christian over two years, you don't get off the hook. Because actually I think this whole psalm, the whole reason why we exist is to, is to see harvest. The harvest is plentiful, Jesus said, but the workers are few. And as far as I'm concerned, as far as I understand, that's still true. There are people who are in your environments, your work, your community, who are just waiting, not for you to necessarily tell them about church, but they're waiting for you to tell them about Jesus. You lift Jesus up, you talk about Jesus, and he will draw all people to himself. I'm so... I'm so hopeful for the future of the church. And I'm so hopeful for you as Tamworth Elam 
as you step into this season or you're in this season of God's amazing grace? Why is it you're reaping now? Well, I think, Steve, you're reaping now because of what you've sowed over the years. I think it's a, you've faithfully served and you've sown and you've sown and you've sown. And I think harvest comes. John 4 says that, you, that Jesus said, you'll reap where you have not sown. I think you're, you're seeing something that you've reaped, but you're also reaping off what other people have sown. And the thing is, what are we putting in in legacy, the whole legacy thing? What you're doing now isn't just about the now. What you're doing now is about a generation to come. What you're doing now is about people who are yet to come to faith in Christ, but you're sowing the seed ready for harvest. Some of you have come to faith in Jesus because somebody sometime way back planted something in your heart. And so harvest. I think it's plentiful. And I think the promise of God is that we will, in these days, in these last days, in these days, I, I use that frame, the framework as a sense of which, for, since Jesus has got, ascended to, the, to, the, to heaven and to the right hand of the Father, we are living in the last days. We don't know when he's going to come back, but we need to be about his business. And so the people of Tamworth need to see you demonstrate, keep seeing you demonstrate the good news of Jesus and proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And who knows that as you set about being small and missionaries, I think you're more likely to hear the call to be a big M missionary. Somebody who might hear the call of God to go and serve cross-culturally overseas as a missionary and be an Elam missionary for God's glory and the extending of his kingdom. Thank you so much for having me with you. Can I pray for you and just hand over to, to Steve?